got so many good comments off the message from last week to do a, a money message on Mother's Day. That it was just overwhelming. So I decided I'd repeat it again this Sunday since it was so over. No, I would not do Nor will I ever do another money message on Mother's Day. There was a lot of scheduling changes and things. that. Anyway, we are closing out the series that we've been in for quite some time now, the questions that Jesus asked us. And I've said each week that... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, we have about 307 questions that Jesus asks of people. Now, he doesn't ask because he needs information. He knows all things, but he asks because there are things that we need to be awakened to that we're just not aware of. They're very important, but we don't understand that. There are things we need to be concerned about that we're not concerned about, so he asks these provocative questions to try to awaken us, to try to get us moving in alignment with his way and his will. Now, how many of you, uh, the, the 90s, you were, you were old enough to be cognizant of reality? Can I just see your hands in the 90s? Okay, that, that means that most of us in here are older than that. Um, in the 90s, do you remember these things called magic eye? Anybody magic eye? Stereograms? Uh, th this will trigger your memory. you were like Mr. Pitt and you looked at those things but you could hardly ever see what was in them I, I am one of those uh, every once in a while I could but most of the time I just like nah there's nothing really there well Christ's last question for us in this series it's a question about how well we see something but it's a much more serious question uh, the question has to do with the notion that sometimes we see people but we don't see them we, we don't see their intrinsic value, nor do we see their amazing potential. And when I talk about potential in this message, I'm not talking about their potential to like write a song or develop a business or go on some personal quest. I'm talking about what the Bible says. You and I, as image-bearing beings, we have the potential to grow, to develop, to change. Somebody said the only people who like change are babies with bad diapers. But nevertheless, we all need to change. And when I say potential... You and I have the potential, God-given potential, to change, to become a Christ-like version of ourselves. So when I use potential in this message, that's how I mean it. But sometimes we see people, but we don't see their value, nor do we see their potential, their God-given potential. So Jesus asked this question, do you see this woman? Now, as we get into the text, that will be more clear to you, and... Uh, 
hopefully each of us came in here today with the, the notion that, that I want to really hear God speak into my life. I'm willing to let God show me things about myself that I may not be able to see and to stir me to consider some things that maybe I've never considered before. I hope that's the condition of all our hearts. Here we go, Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees, back, back around, Pharisees were the conservative religious leaders of Jesus' day. They ultimately instigated Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, they were the guys that really knew the Old Testament inside out. They had a picture in their mind of what the Messiah or the Christ was supposed to be like. And in their minds, they wanted a political leader, a militaristic leader who would use force, take over the world and Israel would become the head of the nations overthrow the Roman government so they were not looking for a Christ or a Messiah that would save human beings from our biggest baddest most dangerous enemy what do you think is your biggest baddest most dangerous enemy think it's nuclear war think it's poverty think it's disease it says about Jesus, Matthew 121, it says, They shall call his name Jesus because he will save or rescue his people from their, can somebody finish it out for me? Sins. Make no mistake. It says in Acts 3.26 that, that God sent his servant Jesus first to us to rescue us, to turn us away from our sins. Your biggest enemy, my biggest enemy, the enemy that is behind every atrocity that's ever occurred in human history it is this thing called sin. It is when I, as a finite, imperfect being, decide that I'm going to exert my will against or in ignorance of the eternal, infinite creator's will, and that always brings trouble. So when we read this, let, let's keep in mind. So these guys, they didn't want a savior from sin. They wanted a savior from political oppression. How many of you know? Listen, I don't care what your political view is, and we all have one, I'm sure. I don't care what it is. It is not going to save humanity. It is not going to change the hearts of human beings. You can change external conditions, but there's only one way that human hearts can be authentically, lastingly changed, and that is an encounter with our Creator. And we know when that happens, and it will leave us forever changed from the inside out. All right, so these Pharisees, they wanted, they wanted a different kind of a Messiah, a different kind of a Christ, political Christ. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a, what kind of life? Sinful life. Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read that these alabaster jars of perfume could be worth as much as a whole year's wages. They were very valuable in those days. So she came there with this jar. Verse 38, as she stood behind him, meaning Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is that she is a what now that's what this Pharisee is thinking now mind you he's clearly not thinking of himself as a sinner and yet the scripture tells us with, with brutal honesty, it says that we've all sinned. We all come short of the glory or the identity or character of God that we were meant to wear, the image of God. We all fall. But this guy, he saw himself in a different class and he had this woman pegged. 
And if Jesus was letting this kind of woman touch him, he might be a lot of things, but he was not the Christ. He was not the Messiah. That's how Simon the Pharisee had it in his head. If this man were a prophet, he would know who it is that's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Then he, meaning Jesus, he turned uh, toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, there's a parable that Jesus tells in between this. And the parable is pretty simple. It goes like this. He says, look, there's this guy that owed 500 pieces of silver to um, a debtor, and there was another guy that owed 50 pieces of silver. The debtor decided he'd just forgive them both. and says, hey, it's, it's, it's even, Stephen. Don't worry about it. And then Jesus says, which one of the guys do you think will be the most grateful and Simon the Pharisee says well of course the guy that owed the 500 instead of the guy that owed the 50 Jesus says you answered correctly now you'll see how that weaves into this story as we get on a bit but here's the thing Simon the Pharisee you might you have to get this right from the start Simon the Pharisee he was absolutely disgusted with this woman he was not just disgusted with this woman he was equally disgusted with Jesus now when we read scripture we have to remember we have to remind ourselves Jesus is not just a man Jesus is God the son he is the eternal creator of the universe the whole rest of the New Testament backs that up he is sitting Simon the Pharisee is sitting in the presence of God his own creator and he is disgusted with him he's not the kind of Messiah not the kind of Christ not the kind of God that he wanted because he would associate, he would allow himself to be touched by such a woman as this. Now, for us today, it, it points out a propensity that we have, and that is to see human beings, but not to see them. It, it, it is to see them, but not to see them with the intrinsic value that God gives to every human being and with the tremendous potential to change that God gives to every human being. If a human being aligns themselves with their creator Christ trusts in him becomes his follower tremendous change can occur in that person's life but Simon had this woman locked in she was condemned in his eyes she she was just refuse and he considered Jesus equally just refuse now you have to understand something about these Pharisees these guys had already kind of made up their mind on Jesus they had colluded together and they decided we know this guy is not the Messiah because he has no political interest he doesn't want to you know say the things do the things that would be required to take over the world overthrow the Roman government so they were just looking for a way to have a good reason to get rid of him so Simon's invite was not altogether uh, a sincere invite but let's personalize this and ask this question for ourselves what disables us because I have the potential and you have the potential just like Simon not to see the woman's value or potential what disables us from seeing an individual's value and potential what I mean could it be that without even knowing it there are blind spots in our lives there, there are people that we just don't see they might be right in our circle of influence we may pass them frequently we may we may interact with them lightly they're 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 placed by God they're divine appointments they're full of value full of potential but we don't see them because we've got something going on that blinds us to their individual value and potential so let's look at a few things that that was true of Simon the Pharisee we're going to see five things that were true of him but these five 
are likely true of any of us in this room. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's God and his love coming here today trying to help us see things about ourselves that we may not know so that we can grow, become more Christ-like, become more available to God, and so forth. So here we go. John 4 gives us the first thing to think about. Now, this is a situation where Jesus is involving himself with a Samaritan woman. The Jews and the Samaritans, they were at odds. This goes all the way back to when the Assyrian captivity took place in 722 B.C. And the Assyrians uh, took the ten tribes of Israel away. They filled the land with all kind of pagan religion. And ever since then, the Jews didn't want anything to do with them. Anyway, Jesus is now in Samaria. He says, the Samaritan woman said to him, he asked her for a drink of water at a well, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for a drink? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with what? Now, if we were just looking for a common tag, something that can blind me to an individual and their value in God's sight and their potential is prejudice. I am capable of prejudice. You are capable of prejudice. Now, I know some of you repulsed that you say, Randy, you don't know me, man. I'm, I've never been prejudiced. Never. I, I didn't say you are prejudiced. I didn't even say that I'm prejudiced. I said I'm capable of it as a human being. It, it's certainly something I know we don't want, but we are capable of it. And when I am prejudiced against someone, and it can be for anything. It's not just a racial thing. It can be their, their economic status, and, and I just see them a little differently. It can be the way they look. It, it could be they don't have tattoos, and so I look down on them or something, or, or they do have tattoos, and I look down on them. Whatever it may, we can have prejudice for any number of reasons. But prejudice will blind us from seeing the person. Simon the Pharisee, he didn't see this woman all he saw was an object. He saw somebody that he could use to trap Jesus. He had agenda, but he was prejudiced already in his mind. She was a sinful woman. All he saw was what she was. He didn't see who she maybe wanted to be in her heart, nor did he see what she could be once realigned in union with her creator, Christ. He didn't see any of those things. But could it be that some of us, we have some prejudices that we've never dealt with and that God lovingly wants us to, to get a little bit close to and to rid ourselves of. A second thing that happens is this, is peer pressure. John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus talking, he says to the Pharisees, once again, if you read the whole context, that's why it's hard to see how true, how true faith or true trust is even possible for you. You are consumed by the approval of other men. Looking, uh, longing to look good in their eyes and yet you disregard the approval of the one true God I can be, you can be, we can be so concerned about the way certain people see us it might be family members, it might be friends it might be work associates we can be so consumed how they view us that we will do things, say things in order to please them, to retain their approval and it can blind us to whole classes in, of individuals we, we can avoid people for example because we know that those that we want to retain their approval they may not think as well of us if they knew that we were interested in people like this it can blind us so so the fear of what others are going to think it could be that that you live in a certain neighborhood and you're afraid to associate with certain people because you want the other people in the neighborhood to continue to think highly of you. This stuff gets, gets kind of hard to, to spot sometimes, but if we look deeply enough with the kindness of God at heart, we'll, we'll find it. 
So peer pressure. A third thing is this. It's just pure perversity. Now, Simon the Pharisee, mind you, this is a guy that likely had the entire Old Testament memorized, and yet he had so distorted the image of God to fit his own image, and this is something we all contend to do. I meet people all the time that will say, well, I think God is like this. And what they do is they construct a God from their own imagination that conveniently fits their desires, their lifestyles, their pursuits, um, approves of their conduct in every way, but it's not the real God. Simon had created a distorted image of God because God was sitting there with him at dinner in Jesus, and he didn't like him at all. So pure perversity even though the light of God was permeating from Jesus the planet had never seen somebody so loving so kind so good so full of power opening blind eyes raising the dead doing miracle after miracle they had never seen anything like it Simon knew Jesus had credibility in these areas and yet he was blocking it out because he was not the kind of God not the kind of Messiah that he was looking for we all have this particular uh danger within us to to try to mold and shape God to agree with certain things that we want him to agree with anyway when Jesus spoke again to the people he said I'm the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life once we put our trust in Christ the evidence that we've actually trusted him is that we will be found following him and some of you are saying well what does it mean to follow Jesus he's not alive on planet earth now we follow Jesus as we go to the Bible his word his revelation the truth about God the truth about life and we submit ourselves to learn God's will and God's ways and then we put it into practice in our life we follow by becoming obedient to the way God designed us to live and that's what it means to uh, put trust in Christ and become his follower but he goes on to talk more about this light in, in chapter 3 verse 19 and this is that passage you know that's so familiar God so loved the world John three sixteen, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in or trusts in him will not perish but have everlasting life and then you come to verse 19 still talking about Christ the light it says this is the verdict light has come into the world but people loved darkness instead of the light why because their deeds were evil Simon the Pharisee I'm going to repeat it again he's sitting in the presence of God Jesus is God and he's disgusted with him he doesn't like him he doesn't approve him Simon sees himself above him the light was beaming the truth about God the truth about life in Jesus and yet he had this distorted image of God and he rejected Jesus on that basis sometimes we can have this distorted image and it will blind us to seeing the intrinsic God-given value of certain people and their potential now I'm going to add to this list a bit disabling factors we've already covered prejudices you I we we may have prejudices that will blind us to certain people we may be concerned about what others think of us so we will not see certain people or not see them the way that God wants us to see them we might have perversity we may have just this stubborn distorted image of God that makes us blind to certain people we don't see any value in them they're just objects the other thing that Simon had going for him was pride he saw himself above the woman way above her and Jesus and pride will blind us we will categorize people typically and we'll see ourselves as different we you know they're they're kind of in you know lower class and you know they don't understand and we say things like that secretly within our little packs but that's a terrible way to think the other thing that can cause us to be blind to people's value individual value and potential is our pursuits 
Simon had an agenda. The only reason he had Jesus there likely was because he was looking for grounds to condemn Jesus. He was trying to trip him up. He was agenda-driven. He didn't care a rip about that woman, nor did he care a rip about Jesus other than to find grounds to condemn him and justify himself. Now, sometimes our pursuits are, are much more innocent than that, but you and I have the capacity to be so consumed with our pursuits that we don't see people. I mean, if, if all my time and all my emotion and all my mental stimulus is fixated on some goal of mine, and don't get me wrong, there are seasons in life where a pursuit of certain goals are valid and even necessary. But if that continues to consume me, I will be blind to people. I won't see people because I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the interest. I'm too caught up with my own agenda. So, so a healthy life will look to try to bring space into our souls so that there is room for us to see individuals but, but if we're caught up in our pursuit Simon all he wanted to do was condemn Jesus he didn't care about the woman so that's why he was blind to her now there's one last one that was not true of Simon but it might be true of us and it's innocent and it's just sometimes we don't see other people their individual value or their potential because we're just too darn consumed with our own troubles we're too consumed with our own pain one of the things that Christ does once we put our trust in him and start to follow him is he gradually brings healing into our soul. He starts to restore our soul, the scripture says, for his own name's sake. But when I'm still really broken and really battered and really confused and disoriented, I, I don't have the ability to, to see somebody else. I don't have anything to offer. How many of you in here have ever had an earache? Can I see? Um, earache is different. Earache. When you have an earache, you can't think about anyone else. You may want to, but you can't think about it. Your pain consumes you. Some of us, it's legitimate. We've come to Christ, but we're still so broken. We're, we're still mending so many things. We're still trying to figure so many things out. We simply can't see past our own pain. That's okay. That's legitimate. That's what church is for, to help people grow and develop and get restoration. Now, I want to give a warning. If we stay there too long saying, hey, hey, you can't expect anything of me. You know, my, my pain, my problems are too big. This is all I can do, man, just to put one foot in front of another. You know, just to get. If we stay there, we will stay there. We will be stuck there. And the truth is, often God will, will push us out while we are still in our pain, while we are still broken. He will push us out toward other people who are in pain, who are broken, and ironically, as we try to serve them while we're still in pain, and trust me, I know what this is about. I've, I've lived a lot of years that I've experienced this, serving people, feeling your own pain, but giving the best that you can to somebody else. Ironically, it somehow starts to heal your pain. And sometimes it heals it at a root level that you would have never dreamed possible. So don't get stuck with that thought that, oh, you know, I'm just too broken, and I'll just stay here, you know. Uh, the church is a hospital for the broken and the needy. And like, well, that's true enough, but don't stay there. But these things can blind us. I, I, I won't. Why didn't Simon see the woman? Because of his prejudice, because he was concerned about his fellow Pharisees, his peers, his perversity of mind. He rejected the light of God as it beamed from Jesus, his own arrogance and pride. He didn't see himself as, as having any sin, his own agenda. All he wanted to do was trap Jesus. He didn't care about the woman. And then for some of us, it's our pain. Now, we would be wise to pause for a second and just say, Lord, are any of these applicable to me? 
Are there people that I don't see? You've put them across my path. You've put them in my circle of influence, but I don't see them. I won't see them. I may never see them because I'm too consumed with my agendas or, or I have prejudices. And so if that person looks like that or has that political view, I'll never see them. That's problematic. And a loving God wants to bring it to our attention so that, that we can grow we can develop so that we can change that's that's an important thing for us all right let me share a couple of insights with you damaged spiritual capacities and deficient spiritual light the pharisee simon the pharisee he had both of these he had damaged spiritual capacities his heart was hard as flint and he had deficient spiritual light because of his perversity christ was there giving him the truth about god and life but he was shut off for it sometimes the light that we have is deficient and our ability to to see other people is damaged um give you a silly thing that happened to me some years back uh i had this man i don't even know how exactly he found out about me he was a pastor in washington dc he had just lost his wife he felt like he needed a stranger to talk to he found out about me drove all the way up here to frederick so i'm meeting with this guy and i'm trying with all my might to be utterly completely available i mean the man's lost his wife and he wants somebody that can understand so he's pouring out his story to me I'm sitting there listening I mean I'm riveted I'm focused I'm all there for him and then all at once the the room starts getting brighter and brighter and brighter and I'm like wow man is this like the Shekinah glory is is something mystical happening here and I'm like no nothing mystical is happening you're having a stinking stroke Randy wake up (laughs) so it hit me all at once and I literally said to him sir I'm so sorry but I can't see you I'm I'm just barely able to see you the light that I had was not good light it was light that was keeping me from seeing him now it was not a stroke how many of you know what an ocular migraine is can I see your hands go look it up if you don't know an ocular migraine well I didn't know what ocular migraine was what ocular migraine you get where you see these like blinding light and and you finally get where you're almost completely blind it doesn't bring you any headache that's the good side so I did what every every you know responsible person do I got in my car and I drove myself (laughs) I did to the hospital. I'm like, man, when I'm in trouble, I want my hands on the wheel. Even if I'm blind, I want to be the one driving this car. Anyway, it was just an ocular migraine. But the point to the whole silly story, I was losing the ability to see this man because of damage that was going on within me and because the light that I was seeing was not good light. We're flooded with light today that is not necessarily good light. We, we have light, for example, from our media that fills our minds with the information that's not necessarily true, not necessarily good. Social media in particular gives us a lot of things that fill us with a kind of a light, but it's not necessarily good light. Our movies, they're propagandizing us. They're giving us ideas about life and about truth. Our, our music, our music is full of messages that are less than wholesome and godly for the most part so so we we may have light jesus talked about this in matthew 6 he said hey look if your if your eye is bad meaning your spirit and if the light that's in you is darkness how how dark is the darkness so jesus said that we can have these defects both in our spiritual viewing mechanisms and in the kind of light that we're filling our souls with you know the old saying garbage in garbage out some of us you know may be taking in light that's not light it says in second corinthians eleven fourteen, it says satan himself appears as in can somebody finish it out for me an angel of what an angel of light 
So we have to be careful. So let me go back to this. Damaged spiritual capacities and deficient spiritual light cause us to do this, to dishonor the Lord and dehumanize one another. Simon dishonored Christ by the way he dehumanized the woman. She, she became an object. She became a pawn. She became a tool. She became something to use to trap Jesus. Her inherent dignity, her preciousness to God, her, her value, her intrinsic value and potential to change and to grow and to become a beautiful Christ-like being. He didn't care about any of that. That dishonors God when you and I, knowingly or unknowingly, don't see people and we don't see their individual value or their tremendous potential for Christ-like change. Now, here's how we tend to express this stuff. Three popular expressions of this is we tend to stereotype people. We all do this to some degree. We tend to categorize people, and then we collectivize. We, we put people in groupings in mass, and this, this is always wrong, always. Um, God really, really cares about individuals. It's not to the point that you you get your every whim I mean if he gave us everything we desired you know, that would be to our destruction that's foolish but I mean God creates us individual one soul at a time he is out to change the entire universe but he's doing it one single individual at a time you you alone you matter your feelings your dreams your hopes your tears they matter tremendously to God he has that kind of capacity but so do those people that he puts in our lives that we may not even see because we've unknowingly stereotyped them or categorized them or collectivized them. So we have to be very careful. All right, let's try to get on the other side of this. I'm going to take you back to the Luke 7 text. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now a little, little bit of a context. In biblical days, when you, when you were eating at a table, we picture a table, you know, sitting up like this high in the big chairs and like that. Well, that's not the way it was in biblical times. You sat on the floor with your legs kind of curled out to the side and you leaned on one arm. That's how you ate. And the table would be like pretty much you're eating on the floor, okay? So that's the scene when this woman sneaks up behind Jesus and she's weeping and wiping his, you know, feet and pouring the, the perfume and so forth. And the Pharisee would have been close by. So this, this was all intensively close when it was happening so he tells that parable remember I mentioned earlier he said hey hey Simon he said I got something to ask you he says there's this guy that owed 500 silver coins another guy that owed 50 silver coins which one's going to be the most grateful if the the debtor forgives forgives them both he says oh of course the 500 now he was trying to set Simon's mind up for what he was about to say so here we pick it up Jesus now the woman is behind Jesus, still touching his feet. Simon could have been literally beside Jesus. Very intense physical setting. Do you see this woman? So he's looking. Jesus is now probably spinning, looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? Which Simon did not. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. By the way, these things that Jesus is going to mention, they were common courtesies that would have been so appropriate particularly for someone who was considered a teacher of that day a a rabbi and that's what Jesus was considered you did not give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair you did not give me a kiss but this woman from the time the time I entered has not this same thing happened to me in the first service here's the deal and I know some of you know you know what it is you know what it is to see yourself in the light and the love of God 
to see yourself as you are and to see his mercy and acceptance and you know what it is to sit like this woman probably alone somewhere just weeping uncontrollably but you're not weeping in sadness you're, you're weeping you're, you're overwhelmed with the beauty and the love and the acceptance of the whole thing the, the, the thing your soul has been looking for all your life you have found it in God you have found it in Christ and it just shatters everything within you but, but in a very very good healthy way anyway you did not give me a kiss but this woman from the time she entered has not stopped kissing my feet you did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven Jesus and this woman evidently had connected at some other time or at least the woman had heard Jesus speaking and she knew that forgiveness was available to her the Pharisees of the day would have given her the impression that she was eternally condemned that there was no hope Jesus had showed a side of God that showed her there was hope as her great love has shown so she's profusely expressing her affection for Jesus her gratitude for Jesus because she knows how much he's forgiven some of you you know exactly what this woman was feeling and thinking you know what it is to know how much God has forgiven you and because of that you will probably love Jesus more than others who think that they've only been forgiven less that's his point but whoever has been forgiven little loves little then Jesus said to her your sins are forgiven the other guests began to say among themselves who is this that even forgives sins Jesus said to the woman your faith or your trust has saved you go in peace so the woman that was invisible to Simon Jesus brings all the attention on and she becomes the one that shines with humility and beauty and complete worship of Christ compared to Simon who has nothing but um, the, just not the slightest inclination to give Jesus the, even the legitimate attention he should have been given so let's let's personalize it a bit what enables what enables us to see an individual's value and potential we've seen what disables us that that whole list of peace but what enables us how can we be sure from this day forward we'll go forward and we'll see the people that might have been invisible to us in the past let's look psalm 36 says all life came from you in your light meaning god's light we see light Psalm 119, 130, it says, As people understand your what? Your word, it brings light to their lives. Your word makes even the simple people wise. We can see people the way that God sees them when we let God's word get into our minds, into our hearts. You need, I need, we need to go personally to the Bible. I want to emphasize that again. This church has been emphasizing that for 31 years. As much as I appreciate your reception of teaching on a Sunday for Sunday, it is not enough. How many of you only eat one day a week? Can I see your hands? You only eat one day a week? That's all you need, one meal a week. That's all I need. No. That's why we pretty much plead with you, please, if you don't have a study Bible, if you don't know what a study Bible is, a study Bible is a Bible that's got all these footnotes from biblical scholars so that as you read this book that is difficult to start reading, it's not one book, it's 66 books in one book, you have somebody guiding you through it, but you need, you cannot be, I'm going to just be, I'm going to make some of you mad. You cannot continue to be lazy about this. You read something, 
you've got to carve out time and start reading God's word for yourself when you take in God's word for yourself when you encounter God in his word for yourself I'm telling you you will see it will change things it will build convictions in you as opposed to secondhand information which is okay it's better than nothing but it won't build convictions and, and, and so it's God's word that enables us to start seeing the value of individuals and their potential we start to see the way God sees them we start to feel the way God feels for them and we start to treat them the way that Jesus treated this woman let's look on in Genesis way back at the beginning it says God created humanity in God's own image in the divine image God created them male and female God created them the greatest most loving gift that God could ever do was to create beings in his own image beings that had the capacity to experience life and joy and euphoria and, and feelings and music and all the, all the unique things that a human being and only human being can experience. We can experience life like God. He also gave us free will, knowing full well that we would misuse it. But when we meet a human being, we're meeting somebody made by Christ and for Christ and intrinsically, they have tremendous value and worth, even though we might have done a pretty bad destruction job on what God gave us. Let's go on. Psalm 139 emphasizing the value that's given to us at creation again it says for you meaning God you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb your eyes saw my unformed body this is saying folks that at conception the millisecond of conception God has already seen our entire life the rest of the verse says all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be conception the millisecond of conception there is intrinsic eternal worth given to a human being because they are God's people first and foremost they belong to him before they are ever entrusted to us so there's value just in that but you say but Randy what about the people that abuse their lives and just you know kind of destroy everything good and that can happen and we are responsible for that but does that mean that God, you know, at that point gets disgusted with us like Simon was disgusted with this woman? Romans 5, it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still, still what? Sinners, Christ did what? He died for us here's God saying that even when we are at our worst when we're using God's name as a curse word where we're breaking all of his laws and breaking his heart he still loves us he still wants to reach us he'll still throw his love in our face by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross saying if you just trust me it can be different this woman took God's offer of forgiveness and a new life and Jesus looked at her not the way she was but the way that she wanted to be and the way that he knew he could help her to become and we need to start kind of developing that same frame of mind Romans 8 makes another point very clear there is now uh, there is no condemnation now for those who live in union with Christ Jesus no condemnation Simon the Pharisee this woman was beyond redemption she was condemned forever and I'll bet you some of us in here we've got people in our life that no matter how long we have followed Christ no matter how how faithful we have been to God and his will and his word they still they still see you some of you uh, based on something you did it might be decades ago you're branded you're forever condemned but God does not when we return to Christ and trust there's no condemnation and we need to be willing to 
give people that same kind of treatment. 2 Corinthians 5 closes with this. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ is a what? New person. The past is what? Forgotten, and everything is new. Now, Simon would never forgive your past. You may have a Simon in your life, but God forgives our past, and we need to be those that treat other people with that same kind of courtesy and the same kind of gentle love that God gives to us. He forgives and forgets our past. Now, I want to wind up these thoughts with a couple additional ones. Here's the irony of, of, of real spiritual awakening. A real spiritual awakening brings certain things. God's presence revealed in Christ awakens us, first of all, to our personal, hopelessly broken condition. Think of the woman. She's at Jesus' feet. She's crying. She's weeping. She knows her sin only too well. She knows her weaknesses. She knows maybe her addictions and her struggles. She knows that apart from God's mercy and grace and motivation and direction and correction, she'll never be able to be whole. She, the irony is when we are exposed to God's love, we see a side of ourselves that we'd rather not see. We, but we're finally able to acknowledge it because we feel safe but it also brings more our individual value to him and our phenomenal potential through him so we see these things simultaneous we see our brokenness to the core how helplessly lost we would be apart from Christ and it humbles us like the woman at Jesus feet but we also have this tremendous hope because we know that we are valuable to Christ and we know that he can give us a whole new life as we walk in our trust in him that that whatever changes we need to make whatever changes God wants us to make whatever changes are best for us we know that he'll empower us to make those changes so let's close with considering if we might still be holding on to some of those disabling factors remember that list let's look at it real quickly again might some of us here not be able to see people that God has brought into our life into our circle of influence because we have some prejudices we haven't dealt with or maybe we're worried what other people say our peers or maybe we just have this hardened image of God that's not accurate maybe we just think we're better than them and there's certain people we just don't deal with maybe we're just so absorbed in our own pursuits we don't have the time or the energy or the inclination to see anybody else to care for anybody else there's no space and then maybe it's legit. Maybe we're still nursing our own pain and trying to get to the place where we can put one foot in front of another. What might be keeping you or I from seeing the people that Christ wants us to see? Jesus said in, in John 4, he said, hey, hey the, the fields are white unto harvest, he said to his disciples, but they couldn't see it. He said in Matthew 9, 35 through 36, he said, uh, the people are just wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, can somebody finish it? Few. Maybe the laborers are few because we can't see these people. We can't see the harvest that it's plentiful. We can't see the broken people. We can't see them because we've categorized them. We can't see them because we stereotype them. We can't see them because we're uncomfortable with them. And God wants to kind of bring some healing to our eyes, the eyes of our heart today. Because, man, he wants to take us and put us into the lives of some people that will bring eternal change in their life now, in their life to come, and we get to be a part of it. That's the greatest privilege that God can give to us. 
And I hope that some of you today, you'll, you'll get stirred, you'll get motivated, you'll get aroused to do whatever you need to do so that your, your ability to see other people and to have space for other people will be expanded from this day forward. Let's pray. Father, you know the condition of our hearts. You know our spiritual perception. May you in your kindness and mercy gently make us aware of whatever it might be that blocks us from seeing the people that you want to put across our path that you know are of great eternal value and endless potential as they come to trust in you. Help us to be those bridges between them and you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.